All around us are people who've struggled and succeeded. Now they're changing their lives and the world around them in their own unique ways. Fox Coaching and First Story Strategies bring you these stories and more from the people who make things happen. This is Success Insight. Welcome to Success Insight. I'm Randy Ford. Our guest today is Jim Moran, who's the president of Simplify ISO. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, for sure. Thanks, Randy. Um, Back in 1987, the first version of ISO 9001 was released. It was a combination of a bunch of documents. Uh, Canada had some documents in it, the Z299 series. Britain had a document in it, BS5750, their quality document. And this group in Geneva, the International Organization for Standardization, put together this document to be released to the world so that instead of having 178 different versions of a quality management system, that the world would have one uh, and everybody would use it. And the idea was that if it, world trade was just starting to pick up steam back in 1987, and if you were buying parts from India or Pakistan or you know China, wherever, you had no way of knowing what you're going to get. And this standard was designed to help make sure that if you, no matter where you purchased, if they had this management system in place and they were certified, that you would be more likely to get what you actually ordered. Uh, so that was its meager beginnings. And uh, it's there are now 1.6 million companies certified to this standard around the world. So what I do I noticed right from the beginning that people were making their systems really complicated. They put all kinds of text-based procedures in. They had pages and pages and pages. There was actually a group in our capital city that writes software for tanks for Department of National Defense. They had 6,900 pages of documentation for a a management system they could have done in 50 or 75 pages. So uh, that's been my goal right since the beginning is to try to help people figure out a way to meet the requirements of this standard, but uh, not drown themselves in paper. What, um, what, what kinds of standards for people who maybe don't know what that is, like what, you know, what are these standards and how are they uh, applied to everyday people? Good question. Um, Basically the standard requires that you put, um, I guess you'd say procedures in place, but they don't have to be documented. People like a surgeon, for example, a heart surgeon doesn't have work instructions for how to do a quadruple bypass. So if you, you know, you give your people credit for having a brain, then you build whatever you need to show people how to do things. Uh, and they're handy for training new people if you have some turnover, that, that sort of thing. And, and that's where people can get carried away and work right way too much stuff. <clears throat> um, the, uh, the idea is that if you organize your, your activities in sort of some kind of sequence and organize your assets, your people, your equipment, your floor plan, your environment, all that stuff. If you get all that organized, you can usually make more money because you can reduce errors. You can improve the flow through of the work, like reduce throughput time. Um, You can maximize the flow of work if you look at it. And And so in order to get a good objective look at it, the best thing to do is to start with a flow chart. I often have people put up horizontal pieces of flip chart paper on the wall 
and get yellow sticky notes. <clears throat> and then they put up all, they put each step on a sticky note. Then they get some software like eDraw or Visio. So there's ways to make these flow charts more or less look nice. Uh, and then that helps you get organized. It also helps you find out where things are bogging down. You might say it helps you identify uh, choke points or um, plugging, plugging where, wherever it's the workflow is getting plugged up. So you talked about these, these digital products that help with it, but I'm also thinking back to when you said you started working in this in 1987. How has it changed? Um, how, how has this work changed over the past more than 30 years now? Well, the first thing that happened, <clears throat> the, the big three leaps that happened were the, 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 ver the second version that came out in 2000 um, after the 87 and 94 version, they both required 20 documented procedures, specific documented procedures. The 2000 and 2008 version let you drop from 20 down to six. And then the final version that just came out in 2015, it, it doesn't make any requirements for any specific documented procedures. So theoretically, you could actually have a management system and get certified with no documented procedures. You still need records to prove that stuff happened. And there's about 23 of those in a typical company. Six of them are related to design. So if you don't do design, it's like 17. So you have to be able to prove to the group that comes in to audit you to give you the certificate. You have to be able to prove you've actually got a system in place. I guess the other thing to, that it helps purchasers know or customers, it, it proves to the customers that if something goes wrong, that you have a formal way or a structured way to fix the problem so it doesn't recur. The idea, of course, is not to have anything go wrong, but that's just not reality. That's not life as we know it. You know, even just uh, how technology has changed things as well. Yeah, uh, it, it was all binders back in 1987, uh, pretty much paper. And back then, actually, most companies had a whole series of binders numbered one to whatever, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And they had this little table that said binder one is in the warehouse. Binder two is in the office. Binder three is at the shipping dock. Binder four is uh, in purchasing. And so that's all gone now. Of course, everything's in the cloud. Most of, most everything's in the cloud. At the very least, people have them on a shared drive on their own servers at work. It's just that's changed things a lot. And there have been people like us that have invented uh, software tools to help organizations automate pretty much everything. It's not completely automated. It's difficult, for example, in a in machine shop. Uh, to be fully automated and electronic. So they, they still use what we would call old school technology where a, a, a form physically travels around with the job from the front to the back. But the big change has been, has been really um, automating the actual documentation side of the requirements. That's been the biggest thing for sure. What are, are some of the other jobs you've had? Oh, uh, actually, when I went to university, I worked like most people. I worked in retail. Uh, in high school, I worked in uh, on the farm south of uh, Detroit in Leamington, where all the Heinz ketchup for Canada used to come from. Uh, what other? I was an assistant golf pro after I graduated from university. 
Then I went into the banking business. That's when I actually started getting into marketing. Then while I was there, I taught school and I was a full-time university professor for seven years from 80 to 87. And that's when I, it was after 87 that I started to learn about ISO and actually built my first system in Sarnia, Ontario, where all the refineries are in 1992. What was it that made you go from the classroom to ISO? Well, basically, uh, in uh, I, w- I felt more entrepreneurial than I was able to be in the classroom. Had I been just a couple miles west in Port Huron instead of in Sarnia and been in an American school system, I probably would have still been in the school system only because they, uh, there, there were much fewer restrictions on university professors or college professors to not have jobs. Most of them had a, a second business. Almost all of them had a consulting business. But in Canada, it didn't, we didn't tend to do that quite so much. Uh, so I stuck with it. Then I decided that I needed to strike it on my own. And then away we went. The rest, as they say, is history. And you don't regret that, it sounds like. Oh, no, no, no. It's been it's been 32 years of actually 87. Yep, 32 years. Um, and uh, it's been great. My wife, Bonnie, has been patient through the lean years and happy through the busy years. And not, it's not for everybody. Uh, only about 25% of the population, typically any population, is willing to forego the weekly paycheck for the risk of feast and famine. And for some, there's more famine than feast. <laughs> And, and but that's life, you know. So if you're willing to put up with that uncertainty, the rewards can be pretty good. Is that something you recommend if people ask you? Oh, yeah. Uh, but ask themselves as well. Uh, it, unless you're willing to completely give up the, the, the security of a weekly paycheck, you would never be comfortable or never be happy in, in, in business for yourself. That's for sure. You have said that the worst job you ever had was picking cucumber vines. Yes. When was this? Uh, it was in high school. It was probably right near the end. So it'd be like the late 60s. I finished high school in 67. And the farms around Leamington where I grew up, a lot of them had two or three greenhouses just so they could extend the growing season. And uh, when the cucumbers were finished, you had to pull the vines down. Uh, and it was about 105 degrees or so in there anyway, I guess in Celsius, 33, something like that. Uh, and, and they were prickly and it was dusty in there too. So you'd start to sweat a little bit. The dust would get kicked up when you're pulling the vines out. So now you got mud stuck to you. And then the vines are, you know, scratching you and creating rashes and all that kind of stuff. How long did you do that? Oh, I think about two days. It took about two days to clear the, the uh, clear out the, the thing. Um, the, another thing that was kind of funny on that very farm, uh, they put me in the one of the tomato growing uh, greenhouses to pick tomatoes. Uh, but I didn't know, I didn't realize at the time that I was red and green colorblind, and uh, I had to learn to tell the the the. Uh, ripeness of a tomato by how long the five stars were on the bottom of the tomato. Uh, so, you know, you adapt, right? You, whatever you do in life, you figure out what's going on, you adapt. 
So you know that you're you're in charge of buying the produce now, even though you can't see the colors. Yeah, <clears throat> a similar thing happened to me in the in the banking industry. I got into the marketing department at Canada Trust, and um, six weeks into the program, they told me I had to go to a printing company and do a press proofing. Uh, so what they maybe your listeners know how this works as you order a bunch of print material from somebody they start the presses up they get them running and then the customer comes in and initials or signs uh two or three sheets to say this color is okay so i had to actually at that point tell them that i couldn't do it because i was colorblind (laughs) it it actually caused me a bit of concern uh because i thought i'd get fired but i'd been there long enough i think i'd been there about three months and they could see that I was a pretty much a go-getter and, and didn't really turn down work because I didn't feel like it. But they could also tell that I was not the guy to do this. It, it was too, this was a, I think during the year I bought about $2 million worth of print product. Uh, so to have that much have to go to the uh, recycling and we didn't have recycling back then. It just went to the dump. That was the uh, early I guess late 70s, yep, 77, 78, 79, right along in there. Those kind of funny little things happen to you as you go through life. One of the things that we always like to ask people who come on uh, Success Insight with us is what you um, would recommend that we and our listeners would check out. First book I think everybody can benefit from in business is the book called, it's by Deepak Chopra, Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. It's a, it's a must read for everybody just from a, to get your brain in the right place for being successful in business, understanding energy flow, understanding karma, understanding generosity, all that kind of stuff, really important. And another book that's good if you're building a website and pretty much every business does today is Donald Miller's book uh, called Story Brand. It's one word, Story Brand. And he talks about making the customer the hero in your all your presentation to the customer. You're not the hero as the expert there. Make them the hero and help them on their journey and be a good guide for them as opposed to trying to be the beyond the end all for somebody. Just help them, let them know you're going to help them along. I like humor as well. Uh, S.J. Perlman was a famous uh, well, I guess British American, but one of your guys who I've loved for years, uh, American writer Gene Shepard. Uh, he wrote this. He his work was used to make a probably iconic Christmas movie called uh, The Christmas Story. Those were all his stories that made up that that book. I've got the two books that he wrote. Uh, one of them's called In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash. And the other is called Wanda Hickey's Night of Golden Memories. So those, you have to balance just, you know, plowing into the technical stuff. You have to kind of balance it off, my view anyway, balance it off with with something a bit lighter from time to time. Well, thank you for talking to us. Um, I I hope you'll take a chance to come back and, and talk with us more sometime. Absolutely. Love to, Randy. Success Insight is a production of Fox Coaching and First Story Strategies. 